Hello and welcome to Saturday's edition of New Testament Friday. Yes, two weeks in a row now. We have not gotten our episode out in time. We will attempt to correct that as soon as we can. Yes, that's a good thing. We we hope that you are going to be joining us. I'm sorry I'm late. I've been had a crazy couple of days. Uh, <clears throat> we're trying to get some things done here at the house and uh, um, not always uh, going as scheduled. Some things have been overlapping and I have not been able to get to the things that I need to get to. So we're here. We made it. And we're so glad that you are joining us. So, uh, our coffee, I am on Dunkin' Donuts, picked it up, iced coffee tonight. So, we're glad you're here. Um, uh, this is the very last, the last reading for this quarter. We are in Luke 16 and 17, and we can jettison that, uh, that um, reading plan. You should have the new plan, which begins on Monday. So very good. So let's, um, let's, uh... Yeah, we're going to get right into it here. Here we go. 16, lots of stuff to cover here in New Testament uh, Friday on Saturday. And that may sound confusing to those of you who might be new to wake up to the word, but we're glad you are here. Uh, so the very first thing we hit here in Luke chapter 16 is the parable of the dishonest manager. And oddly enough, or... Uh, curiously enough, or coincidentally enough, but I don't believe in coincidences. So, uh, we've just completed a four-week uh, study on uh, helping people with their finances, kingdom finances, and this was one of the main parables that we used. This parable of the dishonest manager to talk about money and the kingdom of God. And if you're unaware with the parable, we hope you read through the reading in Luke 16. <clears throat> on Friday, and if you uh, did not, the synopsis, here's a little run-through. Uh, rich, there's a, uh, a rich man, and he had a manager who was managing all his finances, all his possessions for him, and he got word that this manager was being uh, dishonest and not handling his finances, his resources well. And so he went to him and said, uh, gather all your information, all your books, all your stuff, and uh, you're going to have to give an account of your management because I suspect that you are being dishonest. And so this guy saying, uh, what will I do? Well, this is all I know how to do is uh, this management stuff. And so I know what I'll do. I'll go to uh, the debtors of my rich man, of my boss. I'll go to these people and I will negotiate settlements with them. And then they'll like me. And then if I get thrown out on my keister then I'll have somewhere to go. And they thought, oh, I'm really rich. Yeah, well, these people, were, the rich man was really rich, but that's, you know, that's, this guy was not. So, <clears throat> so he goes to the first one and he says, you know, uh, what do you owe? And he says, I owe this. And he says, okay, uh, 
he says, drop, cut that in half and, and, uh, and, uh, pay your bill. And then the next guy says, what do you owe? And he says, I owe, you know, 80 things. And he said, well, cut it in half, 40 and, and then, uh, pay your bill. And so he got them to pay at a discount and, uh, they were happy. And then when the manager found out about this, he says, uh, the master, and this is verse six, oh, excuse me, verse eight, put my glasses on, then I, then I can, uh, I can read. The master commended the dishonest manner for, manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it is, when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. What does that mean? <clears throat> what he's saying is, is that people who aren't even part of the kingdom of God, people who don't understand the things of God, the kingdom of God, they know how to use this tool of money in order to get influence in the world. And that's what he's telling the kingdom of God to do. This money is a tool. It's 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 here. It's not going anywhere. It's gonna be here. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven, more than he talked about hell. He talked about money because it is a tool that can be used for the kingdom of God. And he's saying, now you're using your head. You're 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 thinking through how can this money influence people. In this case, the shrewd manager did it for his own benefit, but how can but God is saying, Jesus is saying in the parable, how can you use the same money, the same principles, the same concepts to influence people for the kingdom of God? How much could you use money in order to get people to look at you differently? I'm going to give you one example. <clears throat> uh, at Life Coast Church, where I'm pastor, if you're if you're new listening to us or listen from out of state or in another country, we have a program, a process called Rooted. And in Rooted, uh, people come together for 10 weeks. You have 10 weeks of small groups and you learn the basic fundamentals of scripture and you have conversations and gatherings together over meals and you talk and you interact and you share your stories and stuff. But one of the things you do is you have a serve experience. During our serve experience, what many of us have done in our groups is we've pooled our money and we've purchased gas cards and then we go to a gas station nearby in our community and we, we give out gas cards. We give them to people. We say, we just want to love you the way Christ loved the church. We know things are hard. Here's $10 to help you or $20 or whatever the gas card is. Here's some money to help you with your fuel today. Is there any way I can pray for you? And let me tell you, there's hardly anybody that never want doesn't want prayer. And recently, a couple who got a gas card shared with them and prayer over them started coming to church, got baptized 2 weeks ago uh, in one of our baptism services. So, this is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. You should be shrewd with your money. So what could we have done with that $10, $20 card? Whatever that card was that was. I don't even remember what he got. I have no idea. But he got a gift card of some kind at the gas station. And we got a chance to pray with him. 
And through those circumstances, him and his girlfriend have uh, come to Christ, come into church, got baptized, given their life to Jesus. So are we using the kingdom influence? So what, what did that cost? $10, $20? I have no idea what the card was. It wasn't any more than 20. We didn't have any cards more than 20. So that influence, that $20 could have been anything. We waste $20. I spend more on coffee than $20 in a week. How much more could we use that money for the kingdom of God? You and me both. I'm preaching to myself here. So this is what Jesus is trying to tell us. This money is a tool. And he goes on to say that in verse 14. He says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So when we lift up money, when we think that money is all that, and, and money's a tool, and God gives it to us, we can both be blessed with it, with, with a comfort, a roof over our head, food in our mouths. That helps us. That He wants us to have those needs. <clears throat> but he all but he wants us more importantly to see the tools that he's given us the resources and the giftedness he's given us pointed back towards him through the kingdom of god so th there's a another verse that this comes to uh verse 15 uh might be 16 16 the law and the prophets were were until john since then that's John the Baptist. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So this is that, this is that verse. Some people say that <clears throat> the kingdom of God has been preached up until this point. Uh, the law and the prophets. And forceful men take hold of it. And so this is... We need to press in with this. We need to press in understanding the kingdom of God and moving it forward. Uh, there's a quick little verse here, 18, divorce and remarriage. And this is kind of disconnected from other portions of scripture that have kind of a better uh, foundation to it. I talked about this in my last message a little bit. Um, and even that was not enough. But uh, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery and he who commits and he who marries a woman divorces, divorced from his husband commits adultery. This is a little contextual grabbed out of there. Luke kind of just took this and, and put this in here within God, uh, Jesus' teaching. And it's not wrong. It's not, not what Jesus said. But it seems to be contextually taken out of the other portion. So if you go to other places where Jesus talked about this, Matthew 19, for instance, there's a little more detail in what he's talking about. And and that's uh, understanding that is important because there are things going on in that culture and in that time that we need to understand. And, uh, and Jesus talking about um, divorce when asked about it by the uh, Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and, and those who... Uh, um, are trying to uh, trap him in what they are doing, but it's it's important to understand that that Jesus did answer these questions, but this one is kind of taken a little bit on its own, 
and there doesn't seem to be any questions around it to kind of find out why this is written the way it's written. So if you go to 19, uh, it kind of gives you a little more uh, understanding of what uh, Jesus is talking about. I'm just going to skip over there really quickly, because I did jot some notes in my Bible about it. Um, the question is asked, Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one woman for any cause? And that's an important word, any cause, because there were two camps of of uh, religious leaders when it came to divorce. And one camp was an any cause camp, and the other camp was just for adultery camp. Okay, and that's important. And Jesus answered him and says, Have you not read that he who created them, this is, uh, this is Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, uh, have you not read that, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now he's going all the way back to creation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. So if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, Sorry, not chapter 3. Uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay? Jesus adds a word that's not in the original Hebrew in, from uh, Genesis. He's quoting Genesis, except for he adds a word. This one word, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In the Hebrew, it just says, and they shall become one flesh. At the time, there were only two of them, but the Hebrew says, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus adds this word, too, because he knew, he knew that both of these camps, divorce for any reason, divorce for adultery, were practicing polygamy. They had more than one wife. They were marrying more than one person more than one woman. And so he threw that in there. He didn't even answer their question, but what he said, what you're doing is wrong. He says, you're asking me this question, but I'm telling you what you're doing is wrong. That would have floored them. We're not looking at this through Hebrew eyes, so we don't pick up on it. We don't catch it. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Again, two, They're not just they are, and they become one flesh. The two become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. So he's not really answering the question, but he goes on. Then he said to them, that uh, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, so they're asking, why did Moses command it? So what, he, what they're trying to get him to say that is a man, for any reason, has to give his wife a, a certificate of divorce. It's a command. They're saying it's a command. And Jesus rephrases it, if you notice, in verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed, allowed you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. That's the phrase that Luke is quoting all the way over in verse 16. I'm going to cough again. And it's like I said, if you don't have all the background, it's pretty tough to pick up on, on what is happening. It's just a 
um, it's it's the teaching. Luke had the teaching correct, but you have to understand Luke's gospel is a presentation of what people have told him. He's a historian and he's gathering information from those who heard from Jesus, who listened when he taught. He was not a first-hand witness. He is a his, an historian who is gathering information. It's important to understand that context. And so what we have is, if you go all the way back, you'll see that there was really four reasons for divorce that was allowed for, that the rabbinical studies and uh, that came to this conclusion through the scriptures was... Uh, the, and, and there's a there's a book on it. I don't know the author, but I'll find it for you and I'll put it in Jeff's stack of stuff. Jeff's stack of stuff. It's and and I'll try and put that in there for you. Uh, but I just heard a whole podcast of this guy teaching on it. Very fascinating stuff. And um, but the four reasons. One of them was uh for 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 lack of shalom in the home. So if you're not providing shalom and this kind of goes back to the nagging wife, the bitter heart, the the always uh, uh contentious uh within the marriage. The second is obviously the the divo- um the adultery, the 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 fooling around. The third was um uh lack of care. They they, they weren't caring for you. They weren't uh, um uh, they they weren't uh, holding up their end. For a husband, it would have been, uh, you're not providing for the family. For the wife, it would have been, you're not caring for the home and the children. And then the final one is the fourth, the fourth reason was um, uh, holding back of, of uh, intimacy, uh, not, not having intimacy with them. So these were the four reasons that fell into that category of, uh, of a divorceable um, within scripture, within the, within the within the context of scripture, and so you know you got to dig for that. You really got to go into a deep dive for that kind of thing. And there is a book that's written about it, and um, a scholar takes goes through the all the Hebrew and all the teaching and all the history, and came up with these four items that are biblically. Uh, 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 God allows for divorce. Understand that, not commands the divorce, allows it. If you can reconcile, if you can stay together, if you can work it out, if you can, that's God's best. It's always God's best. All right, keep moving. Sorry, got hung up on that one. Uh, One verse, (laughs) send us on that. Uh, All right, rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple. Now, this is often spoken of as a parable. I don't believe this is a parable. I believe this is Jesus um, sharing with them the actual account of a person. All the other other, uh, things that Jesus shared that are parables never use a proper name. Okay? They only use... Uh, titles. In this one, there is a title, a rich man, but then there's a proper name used by Jesus and Lazarus, okay? So I'm going to read some of this. There was a rich man who who was clothed in purple. That's always a sign of someone who's wealthy in that time. Uh, And fine linen, who's who's feasted sumptuously every day and and at the gates laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. 
Um, so here's the, here's the story. They both die. The poor man dies, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom. Okay. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out to father Abraham, obviously he's a Jewish, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish. And Abraham says, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I, he begged him to send someone to, to his brothers so that they would, they would not make the same mistakes as him. And he warned him and he said, uh, lest they come also to the place of torment. And Abraham said, uh, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no father Abraham, but if someone goes to tell them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, and this is key. So I'm going to read this right out. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And that's the truth. If you're not going to listen to the word of God, you're not going to be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Oh, wait. Oh, somebody did. Oh, that's right. It was Jesus. And they're still not convinced. There's enough in the law, in the word of God, to convince people that God is real, that Jesus is the way. And because Jesus is the word and the Bible is the word, <clears throat> they're inextricably linked. They're together. They point to each other. They confirm each other. And this should be enough. So this parable kind of shows two things going on. There's this place called Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, that exists prior to uh, Jesus going to the cross. And I believe it's synonymous with paradise or at least enters into paradise after the uh, resurrection and ascension where Jesus goes. And then there's Hades, this, this place, this place of torment that is before the lake of fire that is, I believe, synonymous with Sheol from the Old Testament. That is the place of the dead, the place where they go when they do not believe, when they do not have faith. And in the Old Testament, they had to go to Abraham's bosom. You had to have faith in the Messiah to come. And then after the resurrection, you have faith in the Messiah who came. And so it's all points to the Messiah. It all points to Jesus. and. All of this took place. So next we get to come to chapter 17. This is a long one. Where are we at here? We're at 23 minutes already. So temptation to sin. Temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung on his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. I posted something recently. Got a little flack for it, but that's okay. I don't mind. Uh, some of these 
groups that are out that are kind of on their own uh, power trip right now um, was shouting at a parade in June that uh, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. This is what they chanted. Now, I'm not going to put all people from the LGBTQ community into this group, but at this particular outing, at this particular gathering, this particular group, there were hundreds and hundreds of people marching and shouting, chanting that. The only thing I could think of was this verse right here. It is better for them if a millstone was hung around their neck and they were cast into the sea and they should cause one of these little ones to sin. So if you're drawing young people, fooling them, convincing them that they are not what God created them to be, they're something else. If you're convincing them, drawing them into sinful acts and sinful behavior, then this is what God has for you. And I tell you to repent, turn from that, and give your heart to God. Stop trying to influence little children away from godly kingdom living. So I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to show what the Word of God says in light of what other people are trying to do. It says, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. That's all I'm asking. If you repent, you're forgiven. I want to forgive you. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, then forgive him. That's all we're asking. We have hearts for forgiveness. That's where we always should be. We always want those who have turned away from God, who are pursuing the world, to repent. And that just means turn. Turn from the world, head towards Christ. He's there to forgive you. We want to embrace you into the family of God. And many have. This is not impossible because with Christ, all things are possible. Increase our faith. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Then there's an unworthy servant, and then Jesus cleanses ten lepers, cleanses them, and they all go away, and only one was found to return and give praise to God, and he was a foreigner. He says, go your way, your faith has made you well. <clears throat> the coming of the kingdom. So I'm going to kind of read through this last section here. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And he said to them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look here, look, here it is. Or there, or look here, or look there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And what does that mean? I'm right here is what he's saying. He's saying the kingdom of God is right here. I'm the king. And wherever the king is, is the kingdom of God. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. 
They will say to you, look there or look here. Don't go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from the one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. First, he must suffer many things to be rejected by his generation, by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day... Let the one who is on the housetop with his good with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, <clears throat> let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in this in that night there will be two in bed, two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So this is interesting because it sounds like the... It sounds like the there's there's a, there's some parallel in Matthew to this too. And uh, it's similar but a little bit different. And in the coming of kingdom of kingdom of God will be like in the days of Noah. There's going to be that kind of lifestyle. And if you look into that and read about that, uh, there were things going on there uh, that are so similar to what is going on in the world right now. So that, that should spark your interest towards the Lord's return. Uh, but in the same way, it should it should give us some urgency to share the love of Christ more, to share the kingdom of God more. And and as Jesus is telling them, the kingdom of God is, is this, uh, is this um, right now and not yet. There's those two dynamics going on of the kingdom of God. Jesus started the kingdom of God by coming and offering himself as the king. The king then died first all sin, ascended to the Father, and he's going to return. Sends the Holy Spirit as his representative to indwell us, and he reigns in the hearts of all believers, which means the kingdom of God exists within the hearts of all believers. So anywhere that the kingdom of God moves forward, advances, forceful men take hold of it, anywhere the kingdom of God moves forward, is the kingdom of God advancing? Anywhere that we present the kingdom of God, we present King Jesus, we present the Messiah, is the kingdom of God advancing, okay? We are his ambassadors advancing his kingdom right now. And yet, the kingdom of God in its fullness is not yet. It's coming still. When Christ returns and reigns, rules and reigns on the throne both in Jerusalem for a time, thousand years, and then for eternity. So the kingdom of God is right here, 
right now, and we are the ambassadors that can advance it because the Holy Spirit indwells us. Jesus is the king ruling and reigning in our hearts. We can advance the kingdom or we can shrink back and let the gates of hell beat us back or we can advance the kingdom of God and, and, and break down the gates of hell, keep moving and advancing the kingdom right now for when Christ returns and the not yet happens. Well, that's all we got for Wake Up to the Word. I hope you got your new reading plan. If you didn't, go to wakeuptotheword.org and type your name in there. I'll go check and see if it's there. I'm going to look up that uh, information about that book that's about divorce in the church. And I will try to get that information and a link to one of those books. It's a little heavy reading, but uh, we'll get it for you. We'll put that on wakeuptotheword.org or in Jeff's stack of stuff. And we will see you next week. I'll try to get my episodes out on time. I will really work hard, but I'm counting on your grace. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you next week.